another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, CEO and founder of Exaptic. We're a robotics company that focuses on telepresence, social and educational robots. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you to my guest today, Professor Jonathan Roberts. Jonathan is a professor in robotics at Queensland University of Technology and is also the technical director at the Advanced Robotics for Manufacturing Hub, otherwise known as the ARM Hub up in Queensland, and he is also now the director of the Australian Cobotics Centre. Jonathan, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. So you wear so many hats. Um, yes. tell, tell us about the latest one of the being the director of the Australian Cobotics Centre. What, what's this all about? Yeah, so this is a new center that started operation a couple of weeks ago, so it's extremely new, and it's a, an ARC uh, industrial transformation training center, very big title, um, which is, um, so that's funded by the Australian Research Council, and it's aimed at helping, well, doing the research and training the future uh, employees of Australian manufacturers um, to overcome their barriers to the adoption of robotics and in particular collaborative robotics so we're so QUT is the lead university and we've got then got um, UTS in Sydney and Swinburne in Melbourne are uh, the other universities and then we have the Technical University of Dortmund in Germany and then we have a whole range of industry partners and it's a five-year centre we're going to have uh, about 20 PhD students five uh, what's known as postdoctoral research fellows. So these are people that have done their PhDs and they'll be embedded in industry for some of their time and, and work with industry to try and solve some of these issues. So if you've got someone that's um, participating in this program or is a PhD student there, yeah. how does it work if they, it's obviously now a national program. Right. So yeah, so do they relocate up to Queensland to do this or how does, how's it managed? No, that was, this is one of the advantages of having, uh, we've got the East Coast covered by having UTS and Swinburne and QUT. So um, they, of course, they, they can work wherever they are. The different programs of the centre are located, you know, roughly in different places. Uh, so we, we even though it's called a centre, it's actually the opposite. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's spread, right? So, um, you know, there'll probably be uh, a third of the people in each of those states, Queensland, um, Victoria, New South Wales. So it's spread out. And of course, the nature of how we're all working at the moment, um, you know, when they're working with business, they may not actually be on the business's premises for some of that time. And we've all got used to that, of course. Um, and that's actually, to some degree, that's going to be a good thing for this centre because everyone's now used to this. And that actually may help industry accelerate a bit faster because they're now more familiar with working with people remotely. You know, touching on this, this remote work, I, I wonder if there's ever going to be a time that we you know, go back to like uh, this phrase, the old, the old normal or the new normal. That's I get right. confused yes. with all these phrases that are thrown around. But, um, you know, I think what, what COVID's really highlighted is that people are capable of actually working um, off-site quite um, responsibly and doing yes. what they need to do. And you can actually trust people to just get the work done. Exactly. And particularly when we're dealing with, um, with businesses, you know, from the university sector, it's, it's now relatively easy for us to, you know, dial, get on the phone, get on Teams or Zoom or whatever they want to use. We're flexible. 
and give advice and work, you know, efficiently. It's everybody's now completely familiar with this. And uh, we've had a number of tours of, uh, you know, industry partners who have shown us their facilities by you know, literally with their phone. They go around, show us issues, we can give advice. Uh, and we're finding we can actually work remotely quite effectively. We can even take, you know, even with some of these tools, now you can take controls of people's computers. Most people don't even realize this, but if you use yeah. tools like Zoom, mm -hmm. you know, if that person gives you permission, you can move their mouse around and drive stuff and you, you can do a lot remotely. That's another level of trust we're speaking about. It is that's a level like, of trust. <laughs> that's <laughs> like giving someone your pin to your phone. Like, here, here I give you my phone. I don't know about that, Jonathan. That's <laughs> that's pushing it. So how did this how did the center come about? Like how did this initiative, where did it who started yes, it? Yes, okay. So the back back probably five years ago, we uh, at QUT started a project with um, a company that's actually next door to where I'm speaking from at the moment called UAP which which is an arts manufacturing company so they're one of the largest manufacturers of large artworks in in the world um, so they have a factory here in Brisbane they have a factory in Shanghai in China and they have a factory in upstate New York their New York factory for example makes the Oscars which is not large scale but is small you know so so you know they make they make art basically so anyway five years ago they came to us and said could you help us um, adopt robotics in our manufacturing business. Now, this is the key point. So um, most manufacturers in Australia are not mass production manufacturers. And everyone is very familiar that in mass production, robots are great because you can kind of set them up. These big production lines, if everything's the same every day, then robots are straightforward to use. Uh, but because Australia's manufacturing industry is more small runs of things, often unique things, um, it's you know it's very it's very different. So again, robotics can help in those in those uh, types of businesses, but it's it's harder, and we still need to do a bit of research in order to get robots to be used there, because that means by their very nature, the robots have got to be more flexible in how they're used. Because you know one day you might be using the robot to do this task, and then you wheel it to the other side of the factory in the next day, and it's going to do this, and then you might set it up for a week doing that. That's where we need to get to. Um, so we started to then to help this company UAP uh, adopt robotics and we, we got a, a nice big uh, research project funded by the I think called the Innovative Manufacturing Cooperative Research Centre and that effectively led, then led to other things and it was it was successful and then everybody says ah oh, why don't we try and do this for um, you know other companies right it seems to be a, a good model so we um, formed this plan to create two things. One was uh, a thing that I'm the technical director of, that, which you mentioned in the intro, the ARM Hub, the Advanced Robotics for Manufacturing Hub. So QUT and UAP, this company I talked about, actually co-founded a not-for-profit company, which is the ARM Hub. And then we got some funding from uh, the state government here in Queensland and other people, CSIRO and others. And we are, that company is helping small business in particular um, adopt collaborative robotics and, and, and often do very small projects. Some projects may be a day or two, right? Just to get them, you know, get business to, to be able to uh, learn how to do these things and adopt stuff. And then, so that's about helping business adopt sort of existing research and existing tools. And then in parallel with that, we decided we needed a, a sort of a, a more forward thinking kind of research center that is developing the next things that will be ready in a couple of years which will then feed into the arm hub. So we, 
um, then you know, put together this uh, Australian Cobotic Centre, and we were very fortunate to get that funded as well. Um, and now the two have, you know, starting and they're sitting side by side and, you know, we're going to hopefully help uh, industry over the next four or five years um, adopt cobots. You know what, I've always been slightly jealous of people living and working up in Queensland uh, for the weather because Melbourne is still freezing as you and I are speaking now, but also because of the amount of um, support that you get in, in the sector of robotics. Now, I'm not like, I'm sure it is out in the rest of Australia, but not like in such a concentrated and such an ongoing and systematic way that it's been handled in Queensland. Yes, we are definitely lucky that um, Brisbane in particular has been a focus of robotics for a couple of decades now. Um, so actually my career, after I did my PhD, I started work at CSIRO in Brisbane, which is the where the robotics activities you know, are. And I then spent 19 years working there. And that, um, you know, in the end, I was the director of that lab and there were a hundred staff um, you know, working on robotics and kind of associated technology. So it was a big focus. And of course, then we had QUT made a strategic decision many years ago before I joined QUT that they wanted to be the number one university in Australia in robotics. And, and now we are. Right? Yeah, so, no, you are so definitely. That's right. So, so okay. that, you know, so there were, there were a couple of strategic decisions. Um, and of course, this goes for all different fields, you know, different places cities, states, whatever, decide to focus on a few things uh, rather than, you know, they can't be good at everything. So just be strategic, focus on some key things. And it's clear that in this region, um, there has been a, this strategic focus on robotics and it now seems to be paying off. Well, so now we need to take that um, that collective brain power that you built up over all these years, and um, it needs to infiltrate the rest of Australia, but particularly government circles, yes. to really highlight how important this industry and the sector is for the Australian economy. It does, and and to also get get people to understand that some of the technology is actually quite mature, but. It's, the, it's how it's adopted that is, is not well understood. So, you know, I mean, you can go to a seller of robots and buy robots, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that, that's not the problem. Purchasing things is not the problem. It's, yeah. it's how you actually use them and how you integrate them into your business and maybe how you've got to slightly change your business and how you've got to change the skills of your staff. Um, and there's huge opportunities here, particularly for jobs that have got heavy uh, manual labor because in those industries, um, their staff typically can't work an incredibly long career because it's just it's just too brutal on their bodies, you know, yeah. these different industries. So, so it gives an opportunity if those, if those staff members in these businesses can, you know, use robots as a tool. And that's what we now say, you know, so say a metal worker uses a, you know, a, a welder at the moment um, well, they can use a robot with a welder. You still, that worker is still actually required, particularly for these um, one-off or small batch jobs. We're not talking here about replacing, um, replacing labor. What we're talking about is probably reducing the manual tasks of labor 
Uh, but the, per the, the expert who's doing that current manual stuff now is still very much needed, right? This, this, they're not going anywhere. We're trying to give them a better job, change their skills a bit, and actually extend their, uh, you know, useful working time with their skills. Well, I mean, if you look at a surgeon, because I, I was speaking oh, to yes. Professor Paul Bannon about this in the yeah. Da Vinci Robert, and he's, he was telling me how brutal it is to yes. do these, these operations that we don't even, like they could stand yeah. there, you know, like 10, 12 hours. Yes, like, exactly. It's, it's not actually humanely possible, but, <laughs> but they're doing these operations and where like these robots, these assistive robots come into their own, you go, well, why wouldn't you be using this? Yes, so, so I, mean, I keep talking about this idea that everybody's a winner with, you know, if, if collaborative robots are used in the right way, literally everybody's a winner. So, the, the, you know, the, the worker is there using the robot. They're, they're, they've got different, they're developing different skills. It's more interesting job. They still do yeah. sometimes the manual stuff, but then some of the time they're using the robot. Um, the company, you know, gets more efficiency. Um, this tech companies get developed to help people implement this stuff. It's sort of about growing everything, really. It's we're sort of at that point where it's feasible to do that. It might it may seem like sort of this sort of paradise, but I, I actually think it's possible. Yeah, but I think it's a continual education process to let um, people in the industry, the rest of Australia know, like how you're adopting this change yeah. management that's put into yeah. place. Like yeah. you said, it's easy to buy a robot, but then what do you do with it? You know, yeah. like there's a yeah. there's a whole process behind it. Now, this is what you need to do with this robot. Exactly. So, so actually, our new cobotic center is—it's not all about developing robot technology. There are there are some some of the projects and programs within it are, but actually, some of the other programs are about the human-robot interfaces. They're about um, skills change and you know managing workforce and uh, training and and how you maybe change some of your actual manufacturing processes so that they're more amenable for the robots to do things. You know, it's it's about all those different things. It's a it's a real combination of um, of disciplines. So it's not just yep. engineering, right? It's it's yep. all sorts of people coming together. Yeah. So that brings me. What does Epic stand for? <laughs> yes, so for, for people that don't know, I mean, we should probably explain um, explain something a little. So we, you know, so of course we've got our uh, our new centre, um, which has just um, started started two weeks ago, and we were of course coming up with our core values, and then we were we, we you know we were whiteboarding what should our core values be, and and it just so happened that the uh, we were writing down some sort of buzzwords and that they just happened an acronym <laughs> epic just happened to fall out and somebody mentioned it they said oh my goodness we're epic and that just that just stands for um e excellent the e is for excellent the p is for people centric um the i is for innovative and then the c is for collaborative right so that's uh, that's what we say we're epic Listen, you always you need you need core values. You need to there's something that needs to bind us together, um, right. and especially exactly. with something new because it it's so new. So there's not a collective history that you can draw on. You have to create your That's history. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and very and important. Very, and particularly this whole people element because we're mm. we're really talking about the collaborative robots, which are robots that work with people and typically with the people that currently do something a certain way and then we're you know developing these robot systems with them so the important thing is here you know we've done some projects already just before the center and and the reason some of these projects worked is because the people that helped design the new way of doing it were the actual people that are doing it the 
you know, the old way, should we say, you know, they, they know it's in their best interest to do it a new way because they're getting a sore back or, or, yeah. you know, or whatever. So if they are involved in actually designing the new way with the engineers and with the um, human robot designers and all, then it just seems to work because, of course, they're the expert in their job and they're just as important as anyone else in the team designing the new way of doing things. I mean, they, they, are, the, they are the experts. Jonathan, this is a novel way of doing things. Actually, go and ask the person who's doing the job, how can we make it easier for you? <laughs> exactly, because, I mean, obviously it's going to work. <laughs> You're going to start with them. Now, sit down and tell me, what, what is your pain point and how can I fix this for you? Not going, yeah, I've designed something. They go, well, that's not going to help me. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. And and this is what we found. We found that some of this, this is why some of these projects, I mentioned they're quite short with small to medium enterprise, because... Because if that person is involved, it may just be a couple of days, and you know they you, you can you can show them stuff. They can say, "Oh, could this robot do this?" And say, "Oh, it might not be able to do that." And they say, "But if you do, you know," and and together you actually come up with something that's useful, right? That yes. which is which is, and if it's not useful, it won't get used. So we have seen as we over the years we've toured many manufacturers and we've seen robots off to the side over, a, you know, under a sheet. And we've said, what, what they said, oh, yes, we, we, we tried to get a robot to do this, but it just, in the end, it just wasn't useful. You know, you know so what? That's one of the saddest things that you can possibly see as you go somewhere and there's right. a dejected, um, I was in Brisbane and I saw this dejected Pepper, Pepper was switched off, but like yes, of course, she, yes. she slumps forward when she does it. I thought, oh, that's just the saddest sign. Just right. switch that robot on, do something with it. Exactly. So, so it's the usefulness. If So yeah. if something's useful, then business, of course, will use it because it's, it's going to make everyone's life better. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, then yeah, it, it, it's an obvious. So now yeah. what does a typical day look like for you? Like you, you've really, you're really busy. I, um, yeah. um, for those of you who aren't connected with uh, Jonathan on LinkedIn, immediately hit the connect button and check out his posts and things because he's got a very interesting life. I follow you on LinkedIn. So I see all these places you pop, Mackay, and I'm going, what are you doing there and there? Yes, <laughs> yes so, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're lucky at the moment in Queensland, we're still traveling as normal, right? There's no, there's no, no issues. So, yeah. yeah, so I was in Mackay last week. I'll be in Townsville Monday and Tuesday. Um, so we're, yeah, we can still visit all these manufacturers. So we're very fortunate that way. But yeah, a typical that there's no typical day. This kind of typical weeks. You know, I'll spend I'll spend a, a day or two at the Arm Hub, um, which is actually an industrial shed next to Northgate train station in Brisbane, which is next to this company I already mentioned, UAP. So we're I'll probably spend you know a day or two there and. We'll have industry come and visit us. We might pop out and go and see some companies. Um, we have students come in and use, we've got a maker space at the Armour Hub. So we will do um, some stuff there. We've got some big robots here where which we can't have at universities just because of the space requirement. So, you know, we'll kind of hang out for a few days at the Arm Hub. I may spend a day or two on campus teaching. Um, so, you know, at the moment, my Friday is a teaching day. I teach... Uh, a course called unmanned aircraft systems so you know i'll get to hang out with undergrads there and then um of course then i've got this new center so we're in the startup phase of that so we're doing recruitment um trying to attract you know trying to attract 17 new phd students and five postdocs 
Uh, and then it's a, the matter of visiting businesses really to find that finds you know who's got what problems and particularly to try and identify quick wins you know in business where we know we can you know as I said in a few days solve actually solve a meaningful problem and also try and extract from businesses common issues because um, you wouldn't believe it but in the early days we discovered that um, we, we know a medical device company very well and UAP, the art manufacturer, and we, dis we discovered that their workflows are identical um, in that, you know, they had a, you know, they, they had a designer on each side in the medical device company, the designer was a surgeon and in the, um, it, they were, the, the designer on the art side was an artist. And then their workflow then goes to a team who does drawings and sort of documents. They even use the same software. It then goes down to manufacturing and then there's quality checks. And then the surgeon gets to look to see how that medical device is going. This is bespoke medical devices. And in the UAP case, the artist has a look to see how the, the art, but it actually, their businesses are almost identical in the, in the workflow, even though they're in completely different fields. So we're trying to see these commonalities between businesses because we think that once we highlight a lot of these, we can solve, you know, when we solve one problem, we're actually solving it for multiple industries, basically. So how long is it on? Um, for, and for the listeners, um, I actually had a fantastic interview with Corey Stewart. So if you missed that, do oh, yeah. listen to that. But um, how long has the arm have been going? About a year and a half. So it right. started in March last year. Unfortunately, it started right at the, you know, literally the week COVID kind of the first COVID lockdowns happened. So, yeah. Um, so, but it, yeah, about 18 months. But you've done remarkably well for the time and the circumstances that you've, uh, you've I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, one of the silver linings with COVID has actually been everybody is now uh, understands manufacturing a lot better. Um, you know, because supply chains have been interrupted and businesses themselves have identified they've got um, potential future weaknesses relying on this country or that country or whatever. And if a supply chain breaks, you know, they suddenly can't make whatever they're making. It, it's on everybody's mind is is manufacturing. So well, it's yeah, fortunate. Yeah, the concept of a sovereign nation that suddenly has been highlighted very quickly. <laughs> that's right exactly so and that's just i mean for us it's very good but it's just luck <laughs> yeah no it's all good it's all part of the bigger plan here so how many um how many phd students can you like realistically manage on your own like how does oh, this yeah. work yes so i mean we always manage phd students as a team so that's one thing to point out so you know so i i myself kind of I'm what's known as the principal supervisor of, I think at the moment, seven PhD students. And then of course, there are my colleagues who are associate supervisors with those students. And then I'm an associate supervisor of other students where my colleagues are the principal supervisors. So it's typical to be a principal supervisor of, of six or seven students, and that seems to be manageable. And, you know, we try and catch up every week. Again, the, the COVID's changed things in a good way. Everyone's very used to snappy Zoom meetings. Um, it's, you know, 10 minute meeting here, five minute meeting there, you know, we've, we've actually driven the culture a bit to make it acceptable to have short meetings, right, which is fantastic, actually. So, yeah. you know, it, it used to be, it used to be that you would meet students every couple of weeks for maybe an hour or two. Now it's, you know, every couple of days, we can just pop it, you know, we'll, we'll see each other for short times and get updates and, and everyone feels more comfortable 
about that. Whereas students used to feel more, I don't know, self-conscious about they had to sort of fill up the time. That's, yeah. That seems to have gone away, which is a really good thing. So it's like an agile, agile yeah. PhD, yes. like quick, quick yeah. iterations. Yes, you're on the right track. Or exactly. you go, yeah, like, right. yeah, and exactly. it's better yeah. doing that than going, oh, I'm four weeks down a track and I've messed this up. Why didn't you that's tell right. me sooner? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of enjoyed that. Uh, and it, it makes life more efficient, I think. Yeah, I can imagine this. I can see your energy and your sharp, sharp stars of going, yes, yes, come on, move on, let's go, let's go. So how many mechatronics um, engineers are, is QUT pushing out like yearly? That's good, yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't have the exact figure, but it's around 100, right, you know, roughly. Um, because also the modern, the modern undergraduate student is very different to old people like me. When I went through uni, you know, I just worked full time on uni. And in the holidays, I got holiday jobs and I finished, you know, at the set time. Now, yeah. there's so much flexibility. You know, most of our students have, you know, throughout the year jobs. They, um, you know, they may not do a full load of uni. They may do a three-quarter load or a half. Load. You know, so it means that it's it's a little bit all over the place, but in a good way, right? I mean, so because they're, they're usually working in businesses that are relevant to their degree. Yeah. So... Um, so the cohort that all starts together, they they definitely don't end together. It's um, you know some may do, do you know do it in four years, but others will take five or six or, or whatever. So in terms of um, I as a company, I've always been contacted by companies um, or representatives of universities to get interns into my company. Yes. And as much as I'd love to do this, I have had seven interns um, about three years ago, which we successfully managed to place, and they all got jobs from us. But I found it to be a very time-consuming um, exercise to look after these interns and um, there's, yes. there's, there's such rules and regulations around it now like um, if they're going to do work it mustn't be work that you're actually going to be profiting from I mean it's like it's it's, <laughs> right, like, okay. it's it's like bizarre like so I think the whole and I don't know how it works up in Queensland but certainly this is what we experienced down here um, are, are there rules like that when you're placing interns or are companies you know are they so happy they've got interns I Look, I'm just speaking from my experience. I think there's a there's a huge variation in how you know interns are used, to be honest. So we we you know we see everything, but we we have met a few companies recently that have had very positive experiences with their interns. Um, and those tend to be the companies that they treat the internship more like a um, the staff, more like a regular staff member in a you know a day a week or two day a week type thing so it's okay. that actually seems to work better rather than the intern person goes in for you know i don't know, say four weeks just solid um that doesn't seem to work as well as somebody that's kind of signed up for a year of a day a week or even two days a week for six months or that that longevity seems to be the secret of success the, the short stuff as you say it's hard to manage if it's short um yeah, there's just because you're teaching so much stuff and it just doesn't seem to work as well. Yeah, and I think um, it, it's this babysitting mentality, whereas yes, when you know someone's right. there, they're watching other people, their mindset is also it's a long term proposition. Yes, I think that's, that's right. I personally think that's a better way of doing it. Yes, yes. So, what is your what are you seeing a trend of having more mechatronic students coming through the university? Oh, yes, yes yeah, definitely. 
Um, and that's been popular for um, quite a while. We still we still add open days, which is typically you would think open days are for students. Actually, it seems that often for parents, you know, we will get we will get parents come up to us at open days and say, "What is this mechatronics engineering thing? Um, are there any jobs? Yeah, you know, thing. are there any jobs? <laughs> that's right, that's right. Because it because it's not a very well known, even though it's an incredibly popular degree. I mean, almost every university has mechatronics engineering now, yeah. but it it it, it somehow for some reason it hasn't got into the public kind of consciousness I, I, for what yeah it's i guess because it's new ish right you know the first mechatronics degrees were probably 15 years ago so it's still not it's still not like an electrical engineer or a civil engineer or a mechanical engineer which most people have heard of and seem to understand so yeah. so there still is a some skepticism by parents whereas the students usually totally get it um, but the parents are often worried that they, they're, they're, you know, their child won't get a job. But the, the, the stats don't bear that out. They seem to all get jobs. <laughs> well, exactly. Because yeah, I was right. speaking to uh, Dr. Witchy from, from Sydney and he says, like, mm. uh, we, they're not pumping enough mechatronic students out. Like, that's there's right. a huge yeah. demand for these people. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So if we've got parents listening there, send your children into mechatronics. They will forever <laughs> have work. That's right. There's you and I, like, right. <laughs> don't phone us if they don't, but they should. So the PhD student program that's um, at the Cobotic Centre now, yes. to, to our audience listening in, uh, who should they contact? How does this all work? Yes, well, if they go to um, the website, so, I mean, if you literally just Google uh, Australian Cobotic Centre, you'll you'll see the website. So we're and there's a, an expression of interest there for people that want to do uh, PhDs. And of course, this is not just engineering PhDs. You know, some of them are you know future of work type things. So they they are for students that may have recently graduated with business degrees. Um, there's design PhDs, so you know, um, design graduates and engineering graduates. So it, this is really focused on either somebody who's recently graduated or somebody that may have graduated with an undergraduate degree years ago and now wants to, you know, they've worked in industry and they want to come back to um, full time uh, to do a full time PhD. So it's kind of open to, to anybody in that in that way. Okay, and I'm assuming it's a sponsored position like Yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, there's a, yeah. There's, a there's a full scholarship. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think I can't remember, can't remember the, the number off my head. But it's, a, you know, it's a it's a 30 something thousand dollar tax free um, annual scholarship. Yeah, stipend that you can you yes. can parcel off weekly and live off that. That's fine. That's For right. students, and, it's yeah, fine. It's fine. Um, yeah, which is often actually a challenge of people going back from, you know, going back from working in industry. It's always yeah. difficult financially. Whereas if you've just finished your undergrad, then you've got a maybe you can just you know be a little bit poorer for a bit longer <laughs> yeah for another three years it's fine actually my son's my son's doing his phd in all um in bio organic chemistry at melbourne university and he's got this the sponsorship and he, this is the most money he's ever seen in his life yes, so right. i just yes. go well enjoy it because i think it's only going to get more from now right. so tell us a little bit i'm just going back to the arm having your work there what is your job entail as the technical director so really, a lot of it is to give this kind of the high level advice, particularly when company, you know, when we do these company visits or companies come to us to then we to, because we've got to. So the model is that we we go and pull um, discipline experts out of the universities. So when a, you know a company comes to us and they say we've got this particular problem, 
we will kind of analyze it with them and say, oh, okay, actually, so you probably need somebody um, who's got skills or experience in this, somebody there. And, and then, um, so it's my job is really to help them identify all of those different areas and then go and talk to the various universities. So this, even though this was, Armhub was um, co-founded by QUT, it is not just about QUT, you know, uh, University of Queensland have joined recently. Um, other universities are joining. So because the model is, you know, pulling those experts who are required into to do a project. And that's typically doesn't happen at a university. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's harder. So we're effectively brokering these experts and we get them in to do the projects. Well, and I think it's an absolute, um, it's an ideal position for you because you, A, you know the industry experts. Like I think in yeah. the robotics um, scene in Australia, a lot of the time people don't know about each other and the yes. work that they're doing. And, and sometimes things are being duplicated and you're going, listen, actually, we're already doing this here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. So we're, yeah, we, we absolutely try and avoid uh, avoid duplication. And so, yeah, so a lot of my job is networking, really, to be to be honest, you know, yeah. hence, hence um, having lots of contacts on LinkedIn and just trying to, uh, you know, know who's doing what. Yeah, which is important. And where actually yeah. LinkedIn is actually comes in like really into its own there because if you see what people are posting and you're following the right people yeah. um so going to my audience follow jonathan connect with him and make sure you keep an eye on what he's doing now you've just like the arm hub is just the startup itself what do you think is the biggest challenges facing robotic startups in australia um that is a really good question i think so one of the one of the problems is just the nature of Australian business and manufacturing. I said at the beginning that a lot of a lot of industry is small to medium enterprises. So if a company, a ro if a co robotics company is starting up, it's got to, um, you know, it's got it's probably going to supply to smaller businesses, and the nature of that means that all of those businesses are going to be quite different. So it's not like a situation where a robotics company is setting up and they're going to supply to this massive production line factory and they can, you know, develop a thing and there's going to make 100 or 200 of these robot things or systems and then supply them that way. It, it's going to be a lot more bespoke. So that, so that variety is going to be harder to support. So I think that is one of that is one of the issues right so it's, it's, it's a challenge yeah it's the, this nicheness and of yes. course then then you've got these hugely competent people that also have to draw salary they have to yes. find money from yeah, somewhere right. uh venture capitalists capital capitalists and people yes. um you know putting money into it like they've got extraordinary yeah. demands of what they want from companies it's a t it's a tough terrain to navigate it is for sure. And um, yeah, the nature of the of the business as well, it, you know, ideally, you would, if you were a robotic startup in the ideal world for the company you're providing stuff to, you would sell them your service and show them how to get this thing in their factory. And then they should, they, hopefully, they would never need you again. But that's not actually that useful for the, the no, robotic for the <laughs> startup's business. <laughs> no. But, that, but that's actually... But so there's a tension there. So there's a bit of a tension of um, what. So then, how does the robotic startup continue to make money? It's got to do a lot of these, you know, getting stuff into businesses and then walking away. Um, or there'd be some ongoing service there. It, it's difficult, right? Yeah, I, it I, I've, I've been observing this, and it's it's a difficult thing. 
Yes, because actually in its nature, if you provided a ro robotic solution that's worth yeah. its soul, you don't actually need someone to come back in. That's right, exactly. Um, I mean, it's a bit like buying electrical goods. You know that they yeah. work well for three years and then just as the warranty expires, you go, yeah, I don't know what happened here. I'm sure yeah. there's a click somewhere that it just goes right. switch it off, get them that's back right. in. Otherwise, yeah. we're never going to sell more. <laughs> so, Jonathan, I'm mindful for your mindful of your time. Thank you yeah. so much. Have you got no, any closing welcome. thoughts that you would like to leave the audience with can i leave your contact details and yes, which absolutely. one which which one should i leave because um i mean the linkedin and my email address is the best thing okay so i'm not i'm certainly not a phone but i'm so busy i actually have my phone turned off most of the time <laughs> so, that's, that's fine so if they want to reach you linkedin yes, or email yes, i'll put that yes, and yes. i'll actually put the some um links in for the cobotic center okay, i'll put that great. in the show notes as well yeah. so okay. any any words of wisdom that you'd like to leave the audience with um just you know if you particularly if you're in a small business and you want to you know you want to or you think you can use uh, robots you, you probably can you just you just need to reach out you know and get bits of advice here and the key is having someone in your business that's kind of passionate about learning this new stuff right so that's that's what we find is the secret of success you know someone in the business that wants to be the robot person um that that is what works if you if that if you haven't got that person in your business it's unlikely to work right you know if you're just relying on people from outside coming in and setting something up that's that's not a good long-term strategy yeah you need this champion i always yes, right. I, I love the word champion yes, so right. someone is pushing yes. this yeah. yeah jonathan thank you so much for your time I, I wish you the best of success for all your endeavors i know it's going to be huge and i think um as i said like i look at what's happening in queensland and i queensland sneezes and then we catch the cold like i, I like that come down to That's us right. all the collective wisdom and things of what you're learning there and um, the benefits to the country the country and the economy of course Thanks. And thanks so much for having me on the show. Oh, it's been a great pleasure. And uh, to our listeners, thank you very much for joining us again. Um, contact Jonathan if you need his help. Follow him on LinkedIn. And please be sure to follow the show as well. And join us again next week for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. Mm -hmm.